Welcome to Waypointers, the new podcast for agency and technology leaders, bringing you insight, advice, and knowledge from the leading lights of the creative, digital, and tech landscape. In this series, we'll bring together the brightest minds in the industry, together with our own in-house growth advisory specialists, to share illuminating topics and conversations to grow your business. I hope you enjoy this episode of Waypointers. Hello, my name is Jamie Lermont and I am Associate Director at Waypoint Partners, where since 2018, I've been working in the growth advisory part of our business, providing support to a whole variety of agencies, helping them to solidify and grow their businesses. I'm sitting here today with my esteemed colleague, Jim Houghton. Jim, welcome to the conversation. Jamie, thank you. Good to be here. For those listening, Jim runs the corporate finance team here at Waypoint. And to give you a bit of a flavour of his experience, he's been involved in mergers and acquisitions within the agency sector since the mid-90s. So a few highlights. You started as a buy-side advisor um, around about the the mid-1990s. Then you led Omnicom's acquisitions outside of North America during the time that they were most acquisitive. For the last 14 years or so, you've been acting as a sales-side advisor. And with the exception of a brief period where you sold a Philadelphia-based creative agency to a New York private equity firm in a $175 million US dollar deal, then you went over to run the business as an equity owner for a year or so. Um, It's fair to say that you've seen the business from every angle. You've also been fortunate enough to advise on some big deals, such as We Are Social, Blue Rubicon, A Thousand Heads and Headland. Uh, When we spoke about this last week, Jim, and I asked you how many deals you'd done, you didn't seem altogether completely sure, but you seemed pretty confident it was well over 50 um, across all the major geographies, with the exception of Latin America. Um, That is quite a CV. Yeah, thank you. I mean, you. It's amazing what you can do in uh, 25, 30 years. So, so let's get ready for today's podcast topic. When agency owners begin to think about selling their agency, they often jump towards the option of a third-party sale with the agency becoming part of a larger organisation. However, there are other options, such as a minority private equity investment, for example, This episode is going to focus on employee ownership trusts and management buyouts and the benefits, risks and rewards of each. So I'm very much looking forward to uh, drawing on your knowledge on those today. Yeah, thanks, Jamie. Thank you. So, Jim, people may or may not have heard of employee ownership trusts or EOTs, as they're often referred to. So for those uh, who haven't, perhaps you could give us a bit of a feel for how how they work. I think um, you've referenced three different things that sound like they're quite similar, but in in reality, all three of them are are pretty different. So maybe before I answer the question, I'll just take a step back and just kind of compare the, the the three things. Great. All three of them are events that share one thing in common, which is that the current shareholder group is going to change to being a different shareholder group. But other than that, really kind of... There are potentially wide, wide differences between between the three. If you look at the UK and the US agency scene over the last 40, 50 years even, M&A, the sale to a third party, has been a massive driver for, for the growth of the industry in the UK and the US and around Europe through the whole of that period. And I think because of that, people focus predominantly on the sale of an agency as being the thing that happens. And whilst that's still a very, very common event, it's not the only thing that happens. It's not the only driver for growth in businesses. Okay. And 
in fact, there's been so much M&A across the agency scene, it's not uncommon, you'll have probably seen this, that you'll have people that you'll be dealing with in day-to-day agency advisory, then this might not be their first rodeo. They might already have sold the business once, even twice, and they're kind of going through it again and again and again. And MBOs and EOTs are very different from that in in, in concept. So um, I think most of us understand what a sale of a business looks like. A third party comes along, there's a conversation, and you you sell business. I think conceptually that's that's straightforward. Mm-hmm. An MBO and an EOT, on the face of it, sound a lot more similar. But the, the principal difference, an MBO, you are selling the shares in the business from your current shareholder group to a new shareholder group that is probably very similar to the current one, it'll be one group of management. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's three, four, five. I mean, name the sort of typical size of an agency leadership team. It's a small group. An MBO, your one small group of shareholders is selling to another small group of shareholders. Probably people who are already active within the business, the sort of succession group, the second tier, whatever label you want to give them. That's where things get different, because a sale to an EOT is a sale to the employees as a whole. Like It's not the passing of the shares from one small group to another. It's the passing of the shares from a small group to the whole of the company, all of the employees equally within the company, as represented by a trust on their behalf. So does the goal then tend to be quite different in relation to uh, an MBO versus an EOT? In that, you know, I'm imagining that in an MBO, if it's a small group, often the result may be that perhaps they look to build the business and then sell it on at a later date to a third party. Yeah, I think it it is going to be different. It is going to be different. If you're being uncharitable about MBOs, they've probably for the last 30 years been looked at as if you can't get a sale done, you sell to the management team. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, that, that there have certainly been instances where that's been why MBOs have happened but but an EOT is is very different as I've described because it's not trying to sort of create a continuity shareholder structure. It's a fundamental change in a business. So for example, if I'm the owner of a company today and uh, typical scenarios we come across, very reliant on a single client, mm-hmm. profitability is not in the kind of place where where institutional buyers can be interested in a business. At that point, the right thing to do if if ultimately the goal is for the business or the business would benefit from being owned by another agency group, for example, you know, perhaps in a new injection of enthusiasm, talent, energy, MBO, build for another year or two or three, and then you take it into that exit event. Mm-hmm. If you move into an employee ownership trust arrangement, that's more like the, well, I guess it's what it's what oft, it's often called by the lawyers and the accountants, the John Lewis model. You know, it's, it's a permanent move to... A, a collective ownership uh, arrangement, which is much more unlikely to to lead to a sale in the future. Part of the underlying implication in there it, it sounds like you're saying that not every agency is saleable to a third party. Is 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 that correct? Well, I think um, maybe maybe I'd, maybe there's a different question. In my mind, there's a question as to what's behind a sale. Too often, people come to us or go to other advisors looking for advice on what people want to buy. You know, what is the market looking for? Mm-hmm. Like Fundamentally, I think that's the wrong question to be asking. Right. The question I think that everyone should ask is, what's the right thing for my company? And my company is my clients, my brand, my, my, my staff, my wider stakeholder group. What's right for them? Because if what's right for them is a sale to a third party, 
there's probably going to be a third party acquirer out there mm-hmm. and you should always therefore start with what, what's best for us rather than what does the market look for so yeah i think it's a slightly different question to be honest I meet owners of different shaped and sized agencies all the time. And one of the things I often hear is a desire to leave the business as a legacy to their staff. My understanding is that the two key mechanisms that can be used to accomplish that are MBOs and EOTs. Now, we've talked a little bit about this already, but just to, to, to crystallise it, can you explain for our listeners, um, hopefully as jargon-free as possible, how, how MBOs differ from EOTs? As much as you can talk about an MBO and an EOT without jargon, we'll give it a we'll give it a shot. I think as as we previously talked about, there there is there's one simple fundamental difference that if if everyone remembers this, actually the other piece is kind of a pretty easy to slot into place, and that is that an MBO is moving from one narrow shareholder group to another, and right. employee ownership, which is done generally through an, a trust, is moving from three, four, five, you know, a handful of people to the whole workforce broadly. That's that's kind of the, the fundamental difference. Okay. So I think when people talk about MBOs, they sometimes, uh, there are two types of MBO. There's an MBO where as a management group, you are buying from founder shareholders in a business. Mm-hmm. That's the bit that I think of as an MBO. That's the most common kind of MBO. But actually what you you'll read about a lot in the trade press in particular is the kind of MBO where a company that's previously been sold to a holding company is actually bought back by the management team. But same same principle, you move from one set of shareholders who are active in management to another set of shareholders who are active in management, but it's a thin slice of the mm-hmm. of the overall workforce. So in that kind of in that kind of situation an MBO is a team approaching the owners approaching the owners to say look we we think the business will be better under our ownership because. And at that point, that's a pretty interesting, stroke challenging, potentially threatening kind of conversation when a management team comes to a shareholder and says, we think the company should change hands and it should be us. Yeah. Uh, and one of the reasons why corporate divestments are pretty unusual is actually for a lot of corporate shareholders, when a management team comes to you and says, we don't want to be part of your group anymore, it's not uncommon for the response to that to be, I tell you what, we're just going to go away and think about this. And when they come back and they thought about it, you've got a cardboard box on your desk, yes, a P45 and a spell of gardening leave coming up. It's very, And it's very, very, very difficult to get your way back from that conversation. So, and so two reasons why MBOs where there's a corporate divestment are unusual is you've really got to thought that through that that when you when you have that conversation sure. how you land that conversation and how you position it as for business benefit rather than it just suits me as a management group and also secondarily because there is a dangerous precedent for holding companies that if they you know if if a management team is unhappy disaffected with whatever corporate politics the way the wind's blowing trading whatever it may be if you start allowing people to buy their companies back once one's bought their company back then the next one will come to you and the next one and the next one. And that can be kind of uncontrollable pretty quickly. So MBOs, but okay. a small group buys from another group. The, the the EOT, actually much more likely, or employee ownership trust, I'll start from the way they get initiated, much more likely to be initiated by current owners of a business. But actually, as I think mm-hmm. about what's right about my company, I feel that for, its, for the best interests of the company, ownership should transfer to the to the team in in the company as opposed to a select group 
and the thoughtfulness then around communication is on the current owners. How am I going to communicate those benefits to these people who've not been shareholders before? Mm-hmm. What are the risks and responsibilities of being shareholders? How are they managed? What is the benefit for them? How does that benefit accrue to them over time without spooking employees who, again, aren't, aren't necessarily thinking about what the, what the equity and ownership of the company that employs them actually is? And the, the mechanic for EOTs is actually is pretty wide open. The the only limitations that exist in the UK, if you want to follow the government structures for setting up employee ownership, where you put where you put the shares into a trust, is that you've got to sell a majority interest in the company to that trust. So there has to be mm-hmm. an absolute clear break in the control of the business, and the team take control of the business from that point forward. And if you do that, all the other things that you could access in terms of benefit of of employee ownership are kind of on you as a group, you and the employees to determine how much you want to make of it. Um, And you can make quite a lot from it and you can choose to make less from it. Uh, Again, it depends, as you say, on the motivations behind the conversation in the first place. Okay, interesting. So why should agency leaders consider these routes instead of more well-established exit options like a third-party sale? Well, I mean, I guess I would say that John Lewis has been an employee-owned business since the 1930s. That's doing pretty well for them. And the reason the government brought in the the, the tax incentives to try and uh, stimulate more employee ownership is that it's not just the agency scene in, in, in the UK that's kind of thought this is maybe a good idea and there's kind of there's wider good that can be done through it. Mm-hmm. But, you know, actually it's, it's pretty widely borne out by economic studies that there's real benefit in in, in in wider share ownership, particularly amongst employee base. So again, it's easier sometimes to think about what you don't get with something versus what you do get. So the, so the negatives, the reasons why you wouldn't look at MBO or employee ownership is that that shareholding transaction is being, it, it doesn't bring anything new into the company. Right. What, what it brings to the company is great, hopefully greater engagement from the workforce, which is always going to drive benefits. More engaged team, better work, more engaged clients, virtuous circle, better agency, more profits, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, but what it won't do, you know, a, a sale to a third party, or picture a sort of typical motivation for a sale. I want to get into the US or I want to be operating out of Dubai. Um, it, th- that's going to need either an injection of capital or a partner who can help you achieve that faster or better than doing it on your own. Right, okay. Back to my previous point, if that's the thing that is best for your company. And if international expansion is what you need, international expansion is likely to require expertise and capital uh, and therefore probably a partner or a, or an injection of funding from outside will facilitate that. If, if however, the thing that is most important or will be most beneficial to the growth of your company is more engaged, more motivated, better rewarded people then you know actually MBO or EOT could absolutely be the way to go. Right. So start with you know what you're trying to achieve in the first instance, and then take it from there. Yeah. Right. Which kind of sa- sounds obvious, but I I promise you, in the majority of conversations that we have, they start with people asking us what the market would want, rather than how do they get what they want for their business. <laughs> right. So I mean, I, I I've I've heard a view that some people. Uh, I think that EOTs are just a mechanism for agency owners who can't sell their business to a third party to realise the value and take advantage of um, capital gains tax efficiencies associated with it. What what would you say to that view? 
Yeah, so I understand where the where the comment comes from, uh, from a I think from a variety of different uh, angles. The the government in the UK government in 2014, I think it was 2014, brought in new tax legislation mm-hmm. to try and increase the number of employee owned businesses. Until then, they had been happening, but at a pretty low level, and there was no kind of specific incentive to to make it happen. Okay. So in the UK, we're all really familiar with big government incentives that are much stronger than anywhere else in the world, like the EMI option schemes, for example. Huge drivers, incentives for growth and reward growth in a tax-efficient way. And so in 2014, the government looked to do the same thing for employee share ownership. And, and what they did was say that where uh, an EOT is being put in place, so the majority of shares in a company are being sold, that the sellers sell their shares free of capital gains tax. As long as, as, long as certain criteria are satisfied, there is a zero tax transaction for the sellers. Sure. Which is great because compared with minimum um, CGT rate on a sale of a business to a third party is 10% and most of your tax will be at 20%. Clearly, there's that. That's a big incentive. But again, if we and if you and I think about our, our clients mm-hmm. and the kinds of conversations we have with them about where their life's work is, where all their personal wealth is concentrated, it's typically in the agencies that they've built and run. Yeah. So the thought for me that somebody takes their business, sells it to a to to, to a trust. And therefore, they cash in or out their principal financial asset that they've been working on for 10, 20, 30 years to save themselves a few hundred thousand pounds in tax. It doesn't really compute, to be honest. I mean, I, mm. I can see how if they had tried other alternatives that weren't, that weren't viable for whatever reason, that might kind of, that, that might be something you'd look at. Mm-hmm. But I think that, ta- that kind of tax break on its own won't, won't drive someone to, to sell the business that you know that they've uh, built with their own sweat and tears over many many years right okay so you're an agency leader you're looking at your exit options what advice would you give to them if they were in the room right now well fundamental advice confidently start with what's right for you first and foremost i think all entrepreneurs have a uh, have a duty of care to themselves as founders of businesses as well as to their staff and to their companies to think about what's right for them at a personal level as well as what's best for the company mm-hmm. so that's the number one priority and as i say is is really frequently overlooked if that path involves a sale to the management team then fine recognize that will be a sale that will have certain challenges around uh, communication and pricing Mm-hmm. So selling to a management team probably isn't at the same value that you would be selling your business to a third party. Okay. Practically, if someone is if someone is selling their business to their own either wider staff or to the management, it's even if you could agree a value uh, between you, an amicable value, um, you would need to think about the affordability of that value. Yeah, how is it paid out? When is it being paid? And what risk attaches to it? So typically MBOs yeah. are transacted, I don't know, 10, 20% less value than third-party sales simply because uh-huh. raising the funding to pay out an acquisition in a sensible period of time, uh, what's sensible, three, four, five years, can be pretty difficult. Uh-huh. 
uh, can be can be hard to access the financing. And there's nothing worse for a management team taking over a business than I'm kind of working for the next five years to pay off the bills that I owe, the debt that I owe the former shareholders. So you've got you've got you've got to be thoughtful. Again, my comment around as a as a founder of a business, what's right for the company, but also what's it going to what do I need to see happen over what period of time to be comfortable and to allow management to actually take it over? And and the same mm-hmm. the same consideration around pricing is really really important on an EOT as well. I guess with the caveat that because it's done on a tax free basis for the sellers, you know perhaps the sort of headline pricing can come down a bit anyway because there's no tax burden to pay on the on the consideration. Right. So the advice, your question, you know, what advice would I give someone today? First and foremost, what's right for the company? What's right for the business? Secondly, once once and only once you've done that, be aware that there are multiple different ways of doing this. If you've got a talented, ambitious management team who who can understand the value of equity, you know, appreciate the value of it, as well as the risks that come with being an equity owner, that, that that opens the opportunity for MBO, and and if if you're looking to achieve something broader, more permanent, and perhaps with a with a greater degree or scope for a greater degree of wider social responsibility, which is an area that personally interests me, then then employee ownership trusts really offer you a kind of whole different scope of opportunity, at their most limited level, literally. As, as as you described to me, or as you put to me, it could an EOT could simply be a very tax efficient way of selling your business to your staff, but actually in its purest form, it can be really tran- completely transformational, taking a business that's mm. run for the profit of a small shareholder group, making it a business that that will have significant transparency, uh, it, uh, commu- openness of communication involvement of employees and allowing the opportunity for the business not to be about for-profit growth which is a pretty radical concept in in business anywhere is something that you could probably only do through an employee ownership trust so when people start talk, talking and I'm I'm delighted that they do now talking about wider social responsibility and wider factors for driving M&A other than just profit growth EOT is the one that kind of best best suits that agenda of wider organisational development in many cases. Okay, so I mean, there's a few in, in what you're you're saying there. There's a few sort of takeaways that are jumping out at me. One is clearly the, the the big one at the start there, which is you know think of think of what you're looking to achieve for the business. You've also got alongside that that there are obviously other options to a third party sale, and there's a number of different ones, which are are are, are all very very different. It sounds like EOTs are becoming more and more common, obviously following 2014 and the changes in legislation in the UK, but also because they allow agency owners to to realise value in a relatively controlled and tax-efficient way, but also transferring ownership and the opportunity for future success and value to to their staff. Um, And then the last one being that an EOT seems to put employees or all employees at the front and centre of the business's future which plays quite well into the, the the social responsibility side that's obviously an ever-increasing piece on the agenda. Jim, thank you so much for joining me. It's always a pleasure, and I very much look forward to joining you in our next conversation on whatever that may be. Thank you, Jamie. Great pleasure. Thank you for listening to Waypointers. 
If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more from agency and technology leaders, please subscribe to Waypointers wherever you get your podcasts. This series is brought to you by Waypoint Partners, leading global growth and M&A advisory firm specializing in the creative and tech agency sectors. For bespoke advice on growing your agency, please visit waypointpartners.co.uk and follow Waypoint Partners on social media.